Welcome to the Sourcing Hero podcast produced by Una, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and Art of Procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the Sourcing Hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today, my guest here on the Sourcing Hero podcast is Chris Lance. Chris is a senior director at UNA, a group purchasing organization that provides the Sourcing Hero podcast its home. Chris is with me every single month to tackle a current news story or topic of interest from his own point of view, and these are always engaging and timely conversations. So, hi, Chris. Thank you so much for being back with me on the Sourcing Hero podcast. I always look forward to it. How are you doing, Kelly? I am doing great. And we're going to, you know, last month we did health and well-being and how our mental and physical well-being connect personally and in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Today, you and I are going to pivot and go back into one of the the tougher topics mm-hmm. um, that in the past we've certainly not shied away from. So what we're going to explore is the meaning and the impact of Title 42 coming to an end. So on May 11th, um, Title 42 officially came to the end. This is an act that was named for the specific section of the U.S. Code that addresses public health, social welfare, and civil rights. And so really, it's about controlling the flow of immigration from a time of COVID. Now, because the federally declared public health emergency is officially over on May 11th, that understripped the basis for Title 42. So it had to go. And it's interesting because, of course, depending on the coverage that you read and where you read it, there are good and bad things about Title 42. So on the one hand, it did allow Border Patrol to turn away migrants without allowing them to claim asylum. It basically sped up that process to try to keep unknown individuals out of the country. But maybe on the negative side, it didn't carry any penalty for repeated attempts to cross the border illegally. So in a way, it indirectly or passively incentivized continuing to try to get over. So we don't go into a, a total free-for-all 42 is being replaced with Title VIII, which allows migrants to come in and claim asylum, but it's an extremely lengthy process. And it can take years for these court dates to arrive. Now, on the other hand, we go back to stiffer penalties for illegal entry and repeated legal entry. So you still get that swift deportation, but it comes with a five-year ban on attempted reentry. So this is not a problem that you and I are going to solve together today, but we do want to talk about this from the perspective of a news consumer. I think there are probably some business tie-ins. Certainly, we can acknowledge that the U.S. immigration system needs some work. But let me start by asking you, when you read news stories about especially the southern border or immigration in general... You see images, we watch videos. What is it that strikes you the most? Well, 
Well, so the, the first thing that comes to mind are the are my thoughts, I guess, or concerns, really are for those who can't protect themselves in such a, I'll say it, nasty, dangerous, just a pretty wild environment. Um, I mean, I've read somewhere, I don't know the date range, but it doesn't really matter. But I, re- I read 85,000 children are missing um, once they've crossed into the border. And so then on top of that, I've heard just uh, absolutely disgusting. I mean, facts that like it made me physically ill to my stomach mm. about maybe DNA being, being found in very, very, very young girls and children. Yeah. So my first thought is about the kids. I mean, you know, I know they're distributing rape kits and chemical contraceptives, but that's a Band-Aid on a very real, serious, ongoing problem that like are truly traumatic events. So when you see all these pictures, the first thing that jumps out to me are all these kids. Um, then what jumps out to me after that, uh, well, it's, it's probably how diverse uh, the groups of people that are coming through re- really are. I mean, you know, mainstream media outlets, you know, if, depending on which one you tend to favor over the other, just about all of them would have you believing or assuming that everyone coming over is maybe a more less fortunate, whether it's Latin American, South American, but a family trying to improve their lives and their situation. And while that may be the case for some, it's most certainly not true for all. Like, you know, there are, there are reports of Venezuela emptying their prisons and sending them towards the border. And then if that's not concerning enough, you know, back to some of our other podcasts that we that you and I have done before, um, there's a lot of other countries, like many people from like the Middle East, Europe, Haiti, but wait for it, China. Yeah. And so again, these are not all families. I, I read a report that said, I think it was since January 1st, over 400,000 fighting age uh, Chinese males have entered the United States through the border. And so I don't want to sound alarmist, but how is that not worth sounding an alarm? I mean, that's essentially a sitting army. Um, so honestly, you know, to boil it down, what, what jumps out to me are probably the things that are not tied, you know, to the heartstring tugging narratives that, that we do see, you know, on TV or on mainstream news. You know, and it's interesting too, because you and I, of course, have a process, right? Where we're doing this every month. We usually touch base early in the month. We'll kick some ideas back and forth. We do a little bit of research. There's prep. Um, it's interesting because this morning I was thinking ahead to my day and I thought, geez, you know, we, we've we set this challenge for ourselves not to shy away from tough topics. And okay, we're definitely checking that box today. But I thought to myself, I haven't really heard much about Title 42 in at least a week, maybe a week and a half. Is this the right topic? Like, Did we miss our window? And then almost as if the answer was coming you know, from the cosmos, whoever you want to attribute that to, there was a clip that they played on the news from nighttime security footage where Someone was dropping a four-year-old girl over one of those extremely high security fences. And she sort of dangled down on some type of cloth or or rope or something. But at some point, she had to allow herself to free fall the rest of the way. And instantly it came into my mind, right, just because it's not on the front page of the newspaper Mm. doesn't mean it isn't still happening. And it's it's a valid reminder that anything that's this seriously wrong or this impactful, it is continuing on a daily 
hourly and minute by minute basis, even if those of us who live in my case in Boston, in your case in Kansas City, so far away, aren't necessarily seeing it day to day. It makes following the news that much more challenging because you have to almost look for the things that are missing, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. It's almost, it's like, what's that classic line, Kelly? It's like, what's not being said? Um, <laughs> and then, and then why, is it, why is it so quiet? I feel nervous, right? It's kind of like one of, the, one of those situations. Absolutely. Yep. Now, you've talked about some of the things that concern you about this issue. If we try to be pragmatic about it, what are some of the challenges that you think exist at the southern border? Yes, I... Perhaps this is my operational business mind coming into play, but I think it's as simple as just a significant <laughs> a significant inefficiency that needs to be addressed, right? I mean, it, it boils down to there are more people than there is support, resources, infrastructure, process, what, what have you. Large in part, my opinion, because of policy. But I mean, Kelly, like if we did a SWOT analysis for the United States right now, like I don't see how our border isn't considered a weakness, opportunity, and a threat at the exact mm-hmm. same time. I mean, like we just said, right, there are children and women being harmed. There are families being separated. There are traumatic events taking place on a daily basis, whether the news picks it up or not. And this is after, by the way, all those individuals have made it through the Darien Gap, which I had to look that up. And I mean, for me, I'd equate that to Avatar or Pandora, where just about every every living thing in that terrain is trying or capable of killing you. So Darien Gap's no joke either, where you know, they're, they're being dropped off. And yes, I say being dropped off because I, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but if you do a little bit of research, you'll see that the United Nations actually has a hand in this and people coming over from the Middle East and other, other countries. So I, I digress. I hate to make it sound so simple, but you know, if, if a human being or anything really is punctured, what do you do? Stop the bleed, stop the leak. And I think that's what we need to do first. Uh, I really think we need to stop the bleed. You know, we spent all this money, Kelly, on, on infrastructure, but I don't see the border conditions improved. I don't see bridges and buildings improved. I mean, shoot, how many train derailments have there been this year? I mean, wow. or <laughs> should we not talk about the 61,000 pounds of missing ammonium nitrate, you know, the the same chemical that was over in Beirut and that explosion. So I went down a little bit of a rabbit trail there, but they're massive challenges. And it really just starts with there being too many people and not enough resources. So if we don't have the resources, then you need to throttle the incoming people. It's it's really that simple. And so, you know, what does the United States do about that? I think it, it really comes down to policy and the policy needs to be updated uh, woefully, very badly, like yesterday. <laughs> so, Well, and, and this is one of those things that's so hard. And, and people who have maybe heard me speak about this elsewhere will know where I'm going with this. But I have this personal philosophy that nothing that is simple is real. Mm. And nothing that is real is simple. And if you look at almost any complex issue, business, personal, geopolitical, anything, that will applies. And I think this is one of those cases where if we're going to solve the issue, we have to be able to look at it as human beings and say, I feel empathy and heartbreak and shock and devastation and physical sickness Mm -hmm. over the conditions that some of these people are leaving and then the conditions they find themselves in both along the way and also if they get across the border where they find themselves. Mm -hmm. At the same time, 
there are national security and public safety issues that have to be considered. It, can we somehow acknowledge you know, the, the human tragedy of the situation and also with that operational sort of approach, look at the problems and try to figure out ways to solve them? Well, I, I think that's the thing is that I think we have to, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's a great question. Um, so I'll, I'll try to be even more careful with my words because you know, and it's interesting because it's it's such a slippery slope. It's very easy to seem cold or even anti-American to say nobody should come here. I mean, but I don't, I don't, but I don't hear. That's not what anybody's saying. Yeah, um, our country has always been considered a. I'm doing air quotes, but melting pot. Um, but I've talked to immigrants who have gone through the naturalization process, and they seem to think that that's the right way. And you know, I, I would have to agree with my limited worldview on this, but I would I believe that a system of identifying, you know, who's here to improve themselves and the country that they're entering mm. um, versus someone who maybe does and have malicious intent or maybe doesn't, but just doesn't care about the country that they're entering. To me, that seems like, I don't want to say simple, but basic logic, right? Um, um, and then also being willing I would say to we need to work with other countries, right? If there's clearly an exodus yes. going on, like why why is that? Maybe we're we're not the ones who solve for it, but ignoring the issue clearly isn't going to make it better because otherwise we just end up like it's like a, in the situation we have now. So, I mean, we, we need to remember the purpose. Also, I think the reason I said it seems cold is when we say throttle people coming into the country. It's that the purpose of limiting immigration in the first place, I think a lot of people forget, but it was to encourage those who are allowed to immigrate to assimilate. And I believe that's that's so crucial for a country to continue to thrive and grow. I mean, I'll say this, though. I mean, r- right now, <laughs> we're kicking veterans out of shelters in New York to make room for those who are crossing into the country, albeit illegally. And it, I think it's one of those like, well, you have to put your own mask on first, right? Yeah. I think bef- I think we have to look at it that way. We have to help ourselves improve in order to be in a position to help others. But the prioritization of those issues, it, it really does matter. Um, I guess I'd say it that way. Yeah. Now, this isn't something that's just of great national importance or of great interest to us. Mm-hmm. How we manage all of our borders, Southern included, mm-hmm. has an impact on business. And and I know I have a, a couple of stories in the back of my head, but when you think about how the disruption from a broken immigration system impacts business, what are a few of the things that come to mind? So for me... So I think there's going to be an impact. I think there's going to be an impact um, individually and from a business perspective, but I think it's going to be more so on the, I don't want to say on the individual, but on more of a a community and localized level at at first, I'll say. Um, Like, so when you factor in what's going on in Chicago or New York, um, yeah. So Chicago, let me give some examples, right? So in Chicago, there's full hotels that the public no longer has access to. And the reason for that is because those $300 a night hotels are being used to house migrants because all the other shelters are maxed out. So there's, go with me, right? They're staying in luxury hotels with meals being provided and the taxpayers are footing the bill. Meanwhile, quite a few citizens are struggling to make ends meet. I think that's, 
that's stoking flames somewhere. I don't think that I don't think that's gonna go over too well for too long. And then, like I, I think I had mentioned, New York, right? Out, outside of what's going on with some of the veterans, um, I believe it was uh, Kathy Hochul. She filed the state of emergency order around the influx um, that was coming to the city. But what's not being highlighted is what's in that order. That order allows the city to deploy over a billion dollars in aid to the migrants. But where is that? Where is that money coming from? Yet again taxpayers, right? So on the individual level, there you have it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's going to have an impact on citizens. And before I go on to business real quick, I also think that whole, the whole thing, I'll say this whole mess, I think it's divisive by nature, in my opinion. I mean, there's, so there's, there's clearly a better way. So how do I say this? Very, very similar to 9-11. There were a lot of phobias that were created after the fact. Um, Black Lives Matter, very strong opinions and things like that. And so what I what I view this in kind of behind the scenes, what I'm starting to see in some comment sections and grumblings and, and talking with people is I think yet again, we're putting human beings into buckets and then building a narrative around it, which I personally am not a fan of at all. So as far as business goes, to back to your question, you know, I think it's much more straightforward. Um we're already seeing white collar jobs being eliminated, whether it's chat GPT, automation, the economy, whatever. We're seeing them be eliminated, right? And so I think with this influx, I believe we'll see critical skilled labor positions start to disappear now too. Um, because again, if 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 these if this is all being done illegally and it's taking years for them to gain citizenship or even to be reviewed, well then all of all of these payments and things are going under the table. Right. And then that's not going to be true growth in the economy and the jobs market and things like that. So this influx, it definitely impacts business, but it impacts everything. I think it, you know, it's supply chain, food availability, jobs, the economy, the housing sector, everything. And sadly, though, um, from my perspective, at least as of late, most people aren't willing to address something until it hits their front door. Agreed. Yeah. And when you look at how many, some of these pictures, like you had asked me in the beginning, there are so many people, I would say, rest assured with that many people, it's bound to hit everyone's front door, you know, in, in some time, in some timeline. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's so interesting because some of the things that we take for granted, you know, you can talk about bias and in, in a lot of different contexts, but mm -hmm. one of the things that I learned recently that I apparently have is I'm totally making this up, but this is my way of explaining it to myself, is an identity bias. Mm. So when you think about all these people coming in, you say, okay, you have a court date that's in two years. Well, what is that person supposed to do for that two years? Ideally, we would want them to get a job, find a community, start building a life for themselves here. But right out of the gate, if they can't prove who they are, it's so easy to forget that, no, there's no driver's license to flash. There's no mm. passport to show. And so then you end up with these situations where, as has been reported, there are underage children working in meatpacking facilities around chemicals and, and very dangerous machines. But the issue is there still has to be some type of way to generate income. And if you can't prove who you are, then you can't work in a factory legally. You can't work in a restaurant legally. 
And it creates this enormous challenge where even if we wanted to place people in jobs, we still don't know who they are and they have no legitimate way to prove that. It's it's like, you know, you take this massive problem and you start thinking about, okay, what would step one be? Right out of the gate, you almost hit the wall with, well, who are you? Right, right. And if you yeah. can't get past who are you and how do I know that, it's very difficult to to fix that problem. Um, and so, you know, we we come together every month and we take on these tough topics. In fact, I'll share with you afterwards. This is a teaser for everybody else. I think I found our topic for next month. Ooh. So make sure to check back in with us. But we often take on these topics that are A, dangerous. And so we try to come to them with the right perspective, wanting to talk and to listen. And I encourage anyone to, to share comments wherever you've found this episode, but also to try to figure out what we can about a complicated situation that doesn't have a good apparent solution. Mm. How are we supposed to try to find solutions and take on these tough topics if we can also accept that there's no perfect answer? It's like we have to embrace living in the space between. We have to embrace living in a gray area and making the improvements that we can. I think this is an idea that transitions to a lot of different kinds of problems. How how do you, Chris, exist in a place where you're trying to make things better, but there's not a clear answer or a clear path forward? Oh my goodness. Well, that, that's a peek into my brain and I, I promise you <laughs> it's a pretty crazy place, <laughs> but uh it's it's actually you know it's actually a struggle for me. Um, so that's a great question. Um, what I tend to do is I just focus on what I can control. So that would be my advice: focus on what you can control. And I say it's that simple, kinda. It, it's really not, but but you're right. You know, trying to find solutions that seemingly seem so far out of reach. I mean, like if you if we sit here and list off things like. China, Ukraine, we still have food issues. Nobody's talking about that. CBDC is being rolled out. Yeah, the, the economy seemingly on its heels, waiting for a knockout punch. Um, all these tech executives talking about the dangers of AI, and now we and and a, and a, a border crisis or situation, I should say. It's a lot. Uh, so focus on what you can control. I mean, ultimately, what I tend to do with the news in general is try to figure out. What are the downstream effects? How do these situations multiply or feed into each other? And what do I need to do now? Or what have I already done that I need to do more of to protect my, my family, my friends, our livelihood, our company, other businesses we help serve and partnerships? But I think focusing on what you can control, again, that's really all you can do. Because if you look at some of the other elements that you can't control, it's very easy to start feeling hopeless and go to a very dark place and just throw your hands up. And that's not the answer. I mean, our, our country has always found, found the answers in seemingly that some of the darkest times by just simply not giving up and forging ahead. And I think that's, that's really what we need to do with all of these different situations. So. Well, Chris, I always look forward to and enjoy these conversations. And, and we know that there's, Another one just around the corner. Time is flying so quickly. For people that have listened in to today's episode that would like to connect with you, learn more, maybe reach out, what is the best way for them to do that? 
So I am on LinkedIn. I, I checked it from time to time. So Chris, K-R-I-S, Lance, L-A-N-C-E. You can find me on LinkedIn or you can go to our website and go to the About Us. Uh, our website is una, so U-N-A dot com. And then if you should see my face, my smile out there. And if you click on it, it should it should route you to me. Or you could just send me a direct email. It's just Chris, K-R-I-S at una dot com. And that's usually the best way to get in touch with me, email. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being back, Chris, and I will talk to you next month. You sounds good, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sourcing Hero Podcast. Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for the Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget... Sourcing heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.